Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of the Tuesday Special Podcast. But before we get into the episode, let me give a shout out to a few sponsors. First being Cabarrus Brewing. With me since day one, CabarrusBrewing.com. If you're in the Concord, North Carolina area, check them out at 329 McGill Avenue, Concord, North Carolina. Your beer from here. They let me do a lot of cool stuff at their place and they support me wholeheartedly. So I got to give them a shout out, CabarrusBrewing.com. Also, check out our other sponsor, 1820 Apparel. They're new—they're not even newer anymore. They've been around for about a month, uh, still getting still getting started, still on the upswing. Uh, you check them out. It's wear1820.com. Check out the Team Shasta shirts, the Shasta Soldier shirts, the 1820 Art Logo shirts, the regular 1820 shirts, 1999. There's one that's 249. Very affordable, very affordable shipping. Uh, good quality shirts, good quality prints, and awesome logos and apparel. Check them out, wear1820.com. All right, let's get on with the episode. Well, here's and the week is finally here, ladies and gents. The week is finally here. I have a big show coming up this weekend at Grady Cole Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're not aware, just go to pwxpro.com. Uh, yeah, this is, I mean, it's its not necessarily my money involved. Uh, Brian is the one that puts up the risk, but I'm, I'm in charge of making sure this thing goes, making sure that we, this thing lives up to the hype. And, uh, well, I shouldn't say I am. Our team, our PWX team that me and Brian have built, um, it's, it's, I don't, I don't know. It, people, I don't, I don't know if people understand the risk factor involved. I mean, I know people. People understand it's a lot of money. People understand that uh, it's it's entertainment. It's uh, like showbiz, for lack of a better term. Uh, there's always risk involved. But man, like you're putting the reputation of your company on the line, and we we both thought long and hard before we decided to jump into this. And uh, it made the decision that let's go. And Brian made the financial decision to put up a ton of money to make this thing happen. And uh, I mean, we the tickets have been successful. Like ticket sales have been successful. Uh, I think it's going to be a huge walk up. I think it's going to be just there's so much we've done over and above what we usually do for this show that I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, that's why I have I'm doing two actually two episodes this week. The first one is this one, the one you're listening to that came out a little late on Tuesday, but it still came out on Tuesday. So I'm sorry, Tuesday came out on Tuesday. Uh, and this this episode is with uh, like the the Godfather, I guess for lack of a better term, just because he's older and he's wiser and he uh, he holds like a different kind of energy and wisdom to professional wrestling than than myself and a lot of people that are in the PWX office, and that's Ed Zahn. Um, I don't want to say, I, I, I kind of feel like he's like the grandfather of, uh, I know I said godfather, but he's like the grand, he's like the grandpa in the, in the, and I don't, and Ed, if you're listening to this or anybody that likes Ed, I'm not, I'm not like putting an age category on Ed. It's just like, he, he's the guy that's been through it. He's, he's the guy that uh, you can ask and he has some type of experience in it. And uh, whenever I asked him to be in this, I wanted to dig, and you'll, you'll hear it in the episode, 
I wanted to dig in like to his ECW experience and he was there when it switched over and like all those and, and ask all the questions that documentaries don't cover. But when we started to, and I to, I've already told him we, the, he texted me right after we finished this episode and we were on our way back and he said, we have to do a second episode because we didn't get into anything we wanted to do that you wanted to get into. And I said, I, I understand, but I loved our conversation. Um, it's, I, I, I don't, dec- I don't declare myself as a brilliant wrestling mind. I think I have a good production aspect, uh, or production mindset for the business. And that's how that's allowed me to be very successful with angles and, and aspiring and like aspiring talent and trying to, uh, just be successful in professional wrestling, independent professional wrestling. And uh, Ed has been successful. I mean, he's successfully promoted. He's successfully helped ECW in, in its uh, early early existence. He's uh, he's come and and given new life to the Pure Brand uh, with the PWX. And he's he's constantly coming up with new ideas. And that's what amazes me about Ed is he he comes up with new ideas that are modern. Uh, you hear about all these guys that were in the business way back in the '80s and early '90s, and they stuck. They stuck to that that mindset, and they stuck to that marketing system. And Ed, Ed's always, always like re-energizing himself and and like becoming more knowledgeable about how to promote and how to get things out in this day and age, as opposed to sticking to what worked in the in the old school. But he's a good mix. I don't want to. I don't want to make him look like he threw away the old school. And you'll get that in this conversation. Uh, but but he he evolves with the time, and I love that about it. And uh, and yeah, it's a great talk. It's a, if you're a professional wrestling fan, it's it's unbelievable. We get into a lot of aspects of the business that we don't really talk about openly, and I like that piece of it. And it, it's like and it's almost like new mind and old mind, like just bouncing a ping pong ball off each other, and just and we're just hitting the ball very soft and just playing a nice nice friendly game of ping pong and just bouncing ideas back and forth. And uh, I mean, if I, I feel like I'm putting myself over, and I, that's not what this podcast is about. But if you're an aspiring promoter, or if you're a promoter, or you're uh, marketing in professional wrestling, or you're trying to market yourself as an individual wrestler, uh, this is a good podcast to listen to. And I encourage everyone to listen to it all the way through. And I will have Ed on for a second one because I still have those questions about those early days of ECW. But I'm glad we didn't harp on that for an hour straight. Uh, we, we jumped all over the place and talked about some cool stuff. So that's my intro. Uh, this Thursday, I will release a special edition that I will have Brian Kanabrowski on on uh, the episode. And it's going to be for the PWX Legends show. And it's going to be a very, uh, very intimate and uh, very real conversation about what it took to get to Sunday, and uh, what are our fears, what are what are our uh, hopes, and what are our what do we look to get out of it? It's going to be a fun episode, and I'm going to be promoting on the Facebook page. Uh, check out TuesdaySpecial.com for all the past episodes, and yeah, it's this one's a fun one, and I hope you enjoy it. So, without further ado. My interview with the Godfather, Ed Zong. Paul Heyman's my communication idol. Yeah, is that is that was that a thing with Heyman? Oh my God, yes. You just 
I think that that's a he it, because he was hiding from so many people so much of the time. Ah, fair enough. So and then Is that, are you okay with that son in your eyes? Yeah, that's okay. Fine. He the, would uh, like if I needed my uh, promos or I needed commercials or stuff like that, and he didn't have them done. Mm. It was impossible to get a hold of him. I feel like that's a common denominator for a few people that are successful in the wrestling business. Yeah, I think yeah. like Rich Swan will never answer a phone call or a text. I don't even know if he has a phone anymore. <laughs> that might uh, be the smartest thing he can do. Like Cedric is gradually getting there to where he'll text okay. you like three days later. Mm-hmm. And the other one is Sammy Callahan. I've heard that about Sammy. Sammy will text me and be like, hey, Pat. And I'm like, yeah, man, what's up? Nothing for like a month. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll see him and he'll be like, uh, I'll be like, Sammy, what'd you, what were you texting me about? And he's like, I can't remember, man. And I'm like, don't do that to me. Don't tease me. I, I And I think. Are we recording? Yeah. Okay. That's what and it I think I wasn't sure. Um, I just want I just want to keep that going. For well, the thing the thing is, I think many people don't realize is when you're on this side of the table in the wrestling business, just how many people are constantly trying to get a hold of you. Oh yeah. I mean, you've got wrestlers after you, you got managers after you, you got all the day to day business to deal with, and. I see people get upset when they say promoters don't return phone calls or bookers don't return phone calls, but I don't think they truly realize just how impossible it is to keep up with all the yeah. incoming calls, all the incoming emails. It's it's I've, insane on this side of the table, and almost nobody ever sees it. I've gotten to the point where if someone like says, will you watch a match? I will watch it. I don't know when I'll watch it, and I don't know if I'll message you back, but I will watch it. Right. And I tell them that. like, don't Don't be offended if I don't text you back or message you back within like a day or two or five days or even a month exactly. like just can and, and as you're not gonna be you're not gonna be mad if you stay consistent with your message like just keep keep sending me a message to remind me because i have so much going on right right and it's so easy to overlook something like i'll, I'll tell somebody i'll look at it and they'll ask me to critique their match and give them some input and then i miss it totally and yeah. then I'll oh, be scrolling yeah. back through my stuff, and, and I'll be like, oh. It, it was yeah. like two months it, ago, and you feel horrible. Yeah, he's a real asshole. He never bothered to get back to me, and he said he would. And it's like, no, it, it wasn't yeah, intentional. It's not that at all. Yeah. Uh, if it was intentional, I wouldn't give you the invitation to send it to me in exactly. the first place. Exactly. If I didn't want you to have my my info, you wouldn't have had it exactly. in the first place. Exactly. The, uh, yeah, with Sammy, I think, I don't know if I was at a WrestleCon or if I was at one of his Revolver shows, and I saw he pulled out his phone to do something, and I saw he had, like, 700 and something text messages <laughs> and I was and immediately like immediately I was like I understand I understand right. if I text you and you don't get to it right then that you're not going to text me back you know and adding so I just that, sometimes I'll just send him a message like hey bud hey man yo and just just see if when he, if he responds then I can ask him what I need to ask him well and if you figure well with Sammy you know I was always amazed because he was like he was on top of the impact he was on top of the MLW um oh he's on top of it was like it was like every every major network TV show that had national distribution, somehow he had himself on top of the oh, heel list all at the same time. It was amazing. Not only him, but his crew. Yeah. That's what, did you, do you watch The Wrestlers, the documentaries on Vice? I've only seen a couple of them so far. Like MVP, or the guy was talking to MVP about like Sammy and his, and his crew. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's so true. Like, like the Chris brothers, the uh, Rascals, the... Oh, like you have all of them just, and you see them getting spots in like Impact and getting spots at MLW, and all of them, like they, they deserve it. Don't get me wrong, Absolutely. but I'm glad, and, and that shows you how unselfish Sammy is. Right. Is is whenever whenever he gets whenever he gets that spot, he brings friends with him, and gets and gets limelight on them. And all those guys are great. We've worked with all of them. 
Yeah, and Sam- I love all of them. I Sam- love Sammy to death. I had the pleasure of bringing Sammy. I think it was up to the Gastonia show and, and getting to talk to him when we drove up from the airport. And the guy is just uh, – today's talent is so smart to the business coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, not just from understanding the business, having a grasp of, of psychology in the ring. I yeah. mean, it, it's Some, amazing. Not all. Some. These kids – not all. You're absolutely yeah. right. But it's kids that now that this information's out there like it's never been before – they have access to it. They study it. They learn from it. Yeah. Sammy started out doing backyard wrestling. Yeah. Um, As most of us did at our, at our age, at that age point in the business. Yeah. And that was, drives me crazy when somebody badmouths backyard wrestling because pretty much everybody you get in the ring with today or is oh. anything in the business today um, had backyard wrestling experience. Yeah. You know, whether the, it was the couch well, in the living room or Matt actually Cross had a ring in the backyard. Josh Prohibition, who were like the catalyst like the faces of backyard wrestling because of the backyard wrestling. And I, Matt Cross is one of the most, like one of the best workers out there, best high flyers, I should say, out there. Well, I, I every time I listen to a veteran or somebody badmouth backmouth wrestling, it's it's like my first response is, why don't you ask Mick Foley about yeah. backyard wrestling? True. Because the guy, you know, we didn't see that video of him jumping off the roof for years after oh, he yeah. was already established in the business because there was no social media when he started. But... Um, it's just fascinating the evolution of the business and, and uh, the social media, the technology that's gone with it. it. I look back at what it was like when I did this in 1985, and it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and I will tell the audience that are listening: if you hear some like crazy loud noises, there's an event going on in the back, and there's people coming in and out of the room that we're in. And it's uh, so you might get it might get a little background noise, but for the most part, it's going to be kind of subtle. Yeah, I'm a background guy. Nobody's cheering me, so <laughs> yeah, they might it's, be cheering. Yeah, Patrick, every time, every time you hear a crowd cheer, this is a live <laughs> podcast, and Ed's popping the crowd. Oh, but man. Uh, but yeah. So, like, my first question for you is: you the, the people? Some people know your backstory. Some people don't. So, share that so we can establish some kind of foundation before we move into our conversation through the podcast. Um, because I know it, and other people like other people know it that you've ran into, and other people. But some people are just like, "Oh, that's Ed." That comes right. to PWX right. shows, and, and it's like, well, you don't know the kind of knowledge and experience Ed brings to the table. I remember Brian telling me, like, oh, we're gonna have this guy named Ed who I want to introduce you to that might start helping us, and he did this and this and this, and I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, like, and and like, I'm not, I'm not best friends with Gabe, but I'm a good, I'm friends with Gabe, and I, and like me and Gabe have talked a few times about like his upbringing and how he got into everything, and I've heard him talk about it on other interviews. And it's like, so this guy was like not didn't didn't go the route that Gabe went, but he was there. Like he was right. there before Gabe and Paul and all of them took over. And well, actually, so. no, I was actually there with Gabe and Rob and Paul. Um, and Todd was still. I mean, I was there when Todd basically uh, turned the checkbook over to Paulie. Yeah. So um, see, this is what I want to get into because like you hear it in in like the rise and fall of ECW in any documentary or any book that's based on ECW, all you hear is, uh, oh, well, uh, Todd gave the, gave the company to Paul or gave the book to Paul and let him change it into his vision. You right. never hear the background stories of, like, not necessarily, I don't, I don't know that, like, oh, Paul agreed to pay him this much or this, anything right, like that. I don't right. need any of that. I never but got like, into any of that Yeah, either. what's some background stories? Like, what, what was the locker room like? 
did they believe in Heyman? Did they believe in Todd? Did they were they mad that Heyman was taking over because they didn't believe in the the division that Heyman had for it? Well, you know, and that's interesting because I don't think anybody's ever really asked me that before. Because when I came on board was right before um, the night that Shane Douglas threw down the belt. As a matter of fact, I was in the arena. I didn't I know they were going to do it that night. I remember Dennis Caraluzzo, uh, who was president of the NWA at that time, was in the arena. Um, because when it was, when I was first approached about it, it was still primarily Eddie Gilbert, and it was still primarily most of the Philadelphia guys. Yeah. Um, when Paulie came in, then there was some tension because the New York guys were coming in with Paulie. Yeah. And the Philly guys who weren't able to measure out were getting pushed out. Gotcha. Uh, and they were local legends. They were local indie guys that had yeah. gone way back to tri-state wrestling with Joel Goodhart guys that i had used on my shows mm-hmm. uh rock and rebel larry winters was there dc drake but then you had sandman coming and sandman sandman i used him when he used to use his wife peaches as his valet yeah and he did his surfer gimmick with the surfboard yeah um there was some resentment there um but people could see where the company was going and yeah, it was transitioning and, from just your normal local indie to Something they could grow f- further. Exactly. Well, the, f- the first thing that I think caught everybody with ECW, um, and, and I wasn't involved at that point, was they started doing the chair shots. Yeah. And that was one of the things I said to Todd Gordon the first time that they wanted to have me come in um, with Mark Bodie is, you know, ECW. And I think I shocked him when I said, I said, ECW right now stands for every chair wrestles. Mm-hmm. And that gimmick's going to get you so far, but where's it going to carry you if you want to go forward? You're going to get hot off of that, but it's going to wear itself out. Um, Not only that, are you, but you're taking like days off people's careers with each chair shot. Exactly, exactly. And it's that, not like a gimmick to where you can pull it off, and it's just a, like it's an illusion. You and, and you can ask people around here because if I see somebody take a naked chair shot, yeah. my first question to them is, "Are you fucking stupid?" Yeah. Because it's stupid to take a naked chair oh, yeah. shot, yeah. period. There's no the reason head. for we, we, it. Just to be clear, we're talking about to the head. To the head, yeah. yes, to the head. Um, to oh, the back, take, too, when I see like, guys that are not accurate using a chair yes, and they catch yes, a guy across the back of the head with yes. your But, yeah, that to me was always um, – it was great for getting notoriety, but for longevity, for growing the promotion, for being able to keep people involved mm-hmm. – it was the gimmick at the time. Well, you also you also take away the aspect of a chair shot being built to, like for it to be a spot to build to it, build an angle. Exactly. It's, you kind of you dumb that down, and once you dumb that all the way down to a crowd, there's no getting it back up. You're absolutely right. And there was talent that that I I won't go into naming them to this this day, but there was talent, national talent I talked to at that time that really wanted to be able to get the exposure because remember this is after the territories. So for guys yeah. that had big names in the territories if they weren't in atlanta if they weren't in stanford there was it was very difficult to get notoriety yeah um so their only way to get back on that national stage was ecw but they would not come in because they did not want to have to take the chair shots they did not want to take that kind of abuse so that was almost like a prerequisite of like listen this is this is our gimmick this is what we do you might have to take a chair shot i i don't know I don't know if it was a prerequisite. I, I It's kind of like working with PWX. Yeah. I'm, I'm there to share what I know, what I see, um, but I was never almost in like, the booking. Almost like I was never part of calling people and booking people and yeah. having those discussions. Yeah. So yeah. 
But it was pretty much known if you came into the arena, there's a chance sooner or later you were going to take a chair shot. It yeah. was just part of what was going That's on. That's almost like signing you. Oh, he's an ECW guy. Yeah, he takes a chair shot. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um, so a lot of guys didn't want to take that. Some of the guys were just offended by the atmosphere and the language that ECW used at the time because there was still you now. Know, did they? Because I'm not familiar with the with the Todd Gordon Todd Gordon ECW except for like the Bookers and this and that. This been told in the stories. So they were they like a family friend show before the transition pretty much pretty much because okay. before they had the ecw arena they were running at various venues throughout philadelphia they, they to, ran a sports bar downtown gotcha. uh, we were there doing a show at the sports bar the night the tower caught on fire in downtown philly i'll never forget that because mm-hmm. uh, we were did we used to do the ring rentals for ecw so yeah it was very friendly it was very local and it was just built in on the typical um booking of the time for bringing names in is yeah. that they just were brought in to draw people to the fans but they didn't draw fans in the arena but they really didn't play out in long-term angles yeah it was it was a quick hit exactly yeah. it was a quick exactly. hit on the town um now joel before that would try to do angles joel goodhart with trans because he's really where the whole indie scene really gelled in philadelphia gotcha uh and then when joel backed away then that's when todd stepped in gotcha. and Todd and took, took over, over as like the mayor of the money man yeah okay gotcha. yeah the money guy and as i understand it todd was also supporting joel goodhart until joel decided to get out of it because I, gotcha. I and i don't know all the details of that because what, what, what did todd do for like a living todd ran um oh what the hell was the name of it it was a it was a jewelry pawn shop uh, gotcha. Down on Diamond Row in Philadelphia. Oh, it just did well. Yeah. So he had money. Like, yeah. His yeah. Money he had spend. the money and stuff like that. But then, as that, that always fascinates me, what somebody does to get money. Right. Right. Like, I, like I remember hearing like Carrie from Ring of Honor's story about his business, his successful business that he runs. Oh, I never and, heard it. Yeah, and stuff like that. We'll talk about that out there. Okay. <laughs> All right. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't want to put out his like Carrie's a cool dude. I don't want to put out his his. Yeah, his information. If I, if he doesn't want it out, but 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 yeah, it's time, like it, like promoters. There's always something that's like, oh well, I I got a lot of money here. Exactly. Like there's like there's a promoter up north that like won a big settlement, and he's like multimillionaire now. So he runs a big he runs a big wrestling company that does well. And I heard there's and some guy somewhere that won a lottery, and he there's ran some for guy a in while. Tennessee who ran a, who won a lottery that booked himself against all these big name talents <laughs> trying to get booked. I mean, it's just like that that fascinates me. Oh, and that's there's there's some guy there's some guy in North Carolina who makes a lot of money selling cars that. Only one? Well, no, there's, there's multiple. <laughs> there's multiple. As soon as I said that, I knew that there was multiple people that I could be referring to. I'm not referring to the T. I'm referring to the B. But, <laughs> I got uh, you. But, yeah. It's, sorry, Cy's tapping on the window. Cy, you need something? Cy. Cyrus, do you need something? Do you need something? Okay. But, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's always interesting. Absolutely. It's Absolutely. always interesting in that aspect of, like, what, like, I'm trying to record this, Cyrus. <laughs> Let me start back where we were. Yeah, it's always interesting where, like, where where the money comes from. Right, right. And it's always it's always fascinating to me. I don't know why. I guess because I'm a business guy too. It, it, well, it is because when you when you been around the business and you've been around the business many years now so you've seen many promotions come and go mm-hmm. um you've seen ones that stay you've seen ones that had some longevity and, and it's always interesting because i i never had 
the bankroll to work with. Yeah. So when I did everything, it was strictly out of my own wallet, uh, or I was lucky enough to sell yeah. a show because it did work on selling yeah. shows yeah. through like the Pennsylvania State Fair Association. Um, oh, a couple a times break. I had money marks. Yeah. Um, and I call them money marks um, because actually it's kind of funny because they eventually became marks from themselves instead of building a business. Oh, yeah. That's, that's the biggest um, issue. But that is the biggest well, issue. Well, just so I'm not throwing stones at everybody else, whenever I owned Evo, I had a production company that just made way too much money. And I decided that I needed to spend some of this money for tax purposes. So I, right. would, I started a wrestling company. And, I, and I, that's then making money with my production company and making really good money with my production company while I worked a full-time job helped me continue to continue to uh, fund pro wrestling Evo right. until I just didn't feel like funding it anymore. Well, and I, like I say, I started out um, running, it, it was because I was involved, I got involved with a promotion down in Hanover, Pennsylvania. A uh, guy owned a gym. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a lot of money in that time in that gym, going through that gym because of steroids at the time. Because that gotcha. was the early days of steroids, and guys were doing you know eight bottles a deca at a time yeah. because nobody knew Before what the limitations knew, yeah. were. Anybody knew what it did to you. Exactly. So wrestling became one of the ways to get rid of that money. Gotcha. And then when that fell apart, um, one of the guys I was working with had bought a ring, had a truck, he started his own school, yeah. and out of that, we just started working on running shows for the school. So yeah. we were running a local armory, and you know, paydays weren't everything great, but basically everybody always got a payday. Well, it's, all, it's, it's cool like, not to go on a rant about paydays, but there is a point in time in your career where you're, you should be paid for your experience and your talent level. Absolutely. So when you first start, like just getting paid to do something that you love doing is amazing. Right, right. Because work sometimes people love work, sometimes people hate hate like real jobs. But to be able to do something that's artistic like wrestling, uh, and make twenty dollars off of it, like when you're young and you have no experience and you're just getting your foot in the door, is an amazing feeling. And, and I would I would have guys back in the day who would you know they were willing to drive five six hours and work for nothing just to work on um, my show. Yeah, uh, because the reputation I had developed for the quality of the show. Yeah, uh, and what we gave the audience and mm-hmm. the exposure, because I mean, at, back in that day, we were getting listed in, you know, PWI. Yeah, and it was unheard of and of an independent to get listed in PWI. Yeah. But we developed a good relationship with Aptor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a good relationship with George Napolitano. How funny! How the funny time. is Bill Aptor? Bill's great. Bill's one of the most. <laughs> he's wonderful like a cartoon people. character. Yeah, he's like he's like a character and, out of a out of like a, some kind of anime or animation. Yeah. And and what was amazing is I hadn't seen him for so many people I didn't see for like 10, 15, 20 years. He was one of those people when I walked up to him a couple years ago at WrestleCade, recognized me right off the bat and who I was. Dude, he's he's like an encyclopedia in his head. Yes. It's insane. Yes. I I love that. Every every interaction I've ever had with him, I I don't know him by name. Like He won't be like, hey, Patrick, I'm like, hey. But every interaction I've ever had has been so like it's a story. Like it's a story. Like every interaction is a story that I could tell someone else about. Like listen to this. Yeah. Every time. Every time. <laughs> Absolutely. And Bill was, you know, I, when I started out, I started out by doing photography. Yeah. Uh, and when I made a trip I, in 1984, um, we took two weeks with my first wife, and we went to Atlanta. Uh, we actually went to a TBS Saturday morning TV taping, nice. and then from there we were going to San Antonio. Because I love Southwest Championship Wrestling. Nice. Historical point was we were in Florida getting ready to leave for San Antonio, but I made sure I was in a hotel with USA Network, Mm -hmm. Labor Day weekend, Mm -hmm. and that was the weekend 
after the famous pig shit incident. Yeah. And boom, Southwest Championship Wrestling was going, and on came All-American Wrestling with Vince McMahon. Gotcha. So by the time we got to San Antonio, the promotion basically had folded. Yeah. Uh, but then we got to go into Dallas, and I got to see four shows with World Class Championship That's Wrestling. Sportatorium? Yes. Two oh, at the Sportatorium, one at the uh, Fort Worth Coliseum, and I, I'm a little fuzzy on what the fourth building was. But it was great because it was the height of the Freebird feud. Buddy yeah. Roberts was wearing the wrestling helmet with the Goldilocks yeah. wig. It was it was great stuff. And when I came back from there, that's when I got the bug to say, you know what, I can do this. Yeah, I can do this. We can run shows. I just need to start finding somebody to work with. Mm-hmm. And that's when I came across Mason Dixon Wrestling Alliance out of Hanover. Mm-hmm. And the guy that was running the locker room and running the booking for him happened to be a guy by the name of Paulie Heyman. Ah. Gotcha. And he had, was it the Motor City Madmen? I think, was the tag team that he was managing, uh, managing at mm-hmm. that time. So that's how I got in the door. Then when that all fell apart, we decided to try to keep it together. Yeah. Um, having no oh, idea. that. So whenever that fell apart, that's, that's what created the promotion that you ran. Exactly. Gotcha. Well, it was Mason or- Dixon Wrestling Alliance. And, and the first card I got to work on front office on, uh, we ran a show at Shippensburg University. Mm-hmm. Abdul the Butcher versus Brody, Broser Brody on the top. Oh. And in front of 35 people. Oh. But that's they, still amazing. It was amazing. They went through the gym. They fought through the locker room. They fought through the bathrooms. They dumped cigarette. Because in those days, you still could smoke inside. Yeah. So they dumped the cigarette trays on each other. I mean, oh. they just did everything they would do in front, if they were if sitting they were in, front of 10, in, in Fort, Florida doing it in front of 1,500 people. Yeah. So it was amazing. But that was my first front That was my first, oh, first, front, first office front office Yep. And Bruiser I still have the posters from it. Yep. Versus Abdullah. Abdullah's Abdullah a trip, too. And one of my favorite stories about Abdullah is the first time I shook his hand. I'd never had it happen because I knew about, you know, shaking light. Yeah. Um, But he had the lightest shake I ever had. Oh, yeah. He he literally would come up and lay his forefinger in the crooked between your thumb and your first finger. Yeah. And that's how he shook your hand. (laughs) And then he had that high-pitched voice on top of it, which then you knew why he always had a manager. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I can't believe he speak English to you. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, it must have been before he went into the I don't speak English. Thing. The guy that the the guy that that I always loved, and I talked to him at the Four Horsemen reunion, was Scott Simpson, um, Nikita. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I had him in York, PA, one night. Lost my ass on that show. Learned my lesson. But he would come in and he would be in gimmick the whole time. Yeah. It didn't matter if he was in the locker room with the boys. It, it was yeah, it was amazing. And we used we laughed about that. I said, Yes, yeah, Scott, I said, We used to get a lot of laughs out of you and you playing the gimmick in the locker room. He's like, Oh brother. And I'm like, Man, I don't care. You made a lot of money off of that. I so a, I, I really a, don't care. <laughs> I got a funny Nikita story. I was at Cole's. Like Nikita lived lives in Canapolis or Concord. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he still does, but he did. And this was a few years back. And I had known him from doing the NWA Legends Fan Fest stuff. And, uh, like, we had to work together a few times. And uh, the girl at the register, I was behind him, and he was in front of me. And I and he, I hadn't, like, we hadn't made eye contact. The girl at the register is joking with him, and she goes, oh, Nikita, you're a trip. And she goes, she looks at me, she goes, you know who this is? And he turned around and said, hey, Patrick. And I was like, hey, Nikita. <laughs> he just turned back around. <laughs> it's so funny. And that's Such the, a nice guy, too. He was. And what's, what's kind of unique about this business when I look back on it is how many times you may work with a name just once. Mm-hmm. But they will remember you, and they will respect you, and they will never. I've had very few people get a big head after they, or if they run the way up. Um, 
But if they were names and they came in and worked with you, then mm-hmm. they always respected and appreciated yes. the fact that you gave Definitely. them a payday and treated them right. Definitely. Uh, like, that's the biggest thing. That's what we've – I speak for – when I say we, I speak for me and Brian, he's sitting right here, is, like, that. that's one of the biggest compliments we can get is when somebody who – like, somebody who, like, Billy Gunn, who's been around everywhere, is leaving – to go to his hotel after the show, he's like, "You guys run a good, sh- a good show here. What? Like, you guys are doing it right." Or like Cody, P- Cody was really, like, he's been in WWE and been catered to. I'm not gonna say catered to, but like had that good, that good travel yep. life, yep. as good as it can be to be on the road as much as they are. But like nice hotels, nice coliseums with showers, all this stuff. And he comes through and he's like, "Yeah, you guys are doing it right." That's one of my biggest things about PWX, and one of my biggest thrills is when somebody comes in. And they've been working indies, and they were in the big time, but now mm-hmm. in the big show, and now they're working indies, and they're coming in like, okay, here's another indie night. I'm going to have to work some guy that can't work, yeah. and it's the promoter, and I'm going to put him over you know, for his ego. But then, then when they get to here and they see the way PWX does things, the professionalism, um, you know, I love when I, when I had the privilege of picking somebody up at the airport, telling them my story and saying, you don't have to worry about getting hurt tonight. Yeah. And that's like, that just opens them up right there. Yeah. And then when they actually get in the locker room and start talking to people and seeing the show, I can think of guys that just have had the time of their life working on PWX cards, and they were ready to walk away from the and, whole thing. Yeah, you and, know? W- and what's insane about it is, like, we we overlooked that because this is the way we've done it forever. Like, yep. we've just created our standard, lived by that standard, and raised it when we needed to. Yep. And, like, to us, it's just like, okay, we just got to do it. Another show. Well, and that, it's just that level of professionalism that I guess is in the people that we've hired, the people that we choose to book, the people that like the the fans that come for most for the most part. Uh, like there's that level of comfort and professionalism that falls into play with the company. That's what attracted me. I mean, my first my first show was up in Hickory four years ago, and the first thing that happened is I had a run in with Brian because I was standing out on the line and my girlfriend had to go to the bathroom and I just walked into the building. Yeah. And Brian came up to me and I gave him hell and he took it. What are you doing? And he was professional. Oh, and Brian being yeah, professional? Yeah, I know. It's kind of surprising. That's, you got and it was one like, good day out of eight years. It was like, okay, so he's cool. He took what I had to say. He didn't get mad at me. He didn't deny me. He didn't argue with yeah. me about it. And then we watched the show. Yeah. And then he invited us to go over to Escapade the next day and we went over there and that was... Oh, a, that was a double shot. That, that was, was a double... A, yeah. Yep. And... That, that was, was the day oh, Elijah Evans show. wound up in our lap. Yeah. Because uh, we just didn't realize it was going to happen. Yeah. Um, it happens. And it First just timers. became, this is good. This is what I've always envisioned trying to do with what I was trying to do back then mm-hmm. in that time. And if I can do anything to help the company and add to it, I'm more than glad to. One, it's been great. Like, one thing that I love is I believe it's Cassie in the shot that I used at the end of the intro that I absolutely love when Jake won the title. I think Cassie is in the very back at Escapade going crazy in the bottom corner. I'll try. I'll pull it up on my laptop and we can try (laughs) to point out. But I remember that because she's got a Charlotte Flair shirt on. I believe if I'm thinking right, does she used to have a Charlotte Flair shirt? Like the blue one? I don't it might, know. That might be somebody else. There's somebody that down there, but I know Cassie's down there somewhere. Okay. That's like, this was before, like, they got involved, and she would do photography here and there. Right. And it's like, this is amazing to see, like, that's where it started, and now they're here. Oh, and, and that, I, I can't tell you how cathartic 
that all has been for me because of the personal trauma that I was going through at the time and what it did for the girls and I to give us something to unite around and, yeah. and do. And, yeah, Cassie became a photographer. Mm -hmm. uh, Ashley was involved for a while. Um, a lot of good memories. Well, see, that's, the, people, yes. that's what people overlook about professional wrestling or any, any kind of art in that sense. But people kind of give music – like music, the kind of rub for it, but they'll say, "Oh, your music helped me through a tough time." Like yeah. you're, I mean, like one thing that uh, I can't remember his name, but he still he comes to PWX show still. When I did my last uh, Evo show, um, I, I had finished it. I had so much, like, felt like there was so much weight off my off my shoulders. I wasn't doing this. I was going to help PWX, but I didn't have the weight of making sure I had the money, making sure that I had that mm -hmm. every, the building was going to draw. I didn't have any of that weight on me anymore. And this guy comes up to me and he says, listen, uh, Patrick, I want to tell you something real quick. He's like, I know you're busy. And I was like, no, no, no. I mean, I remember it was in the – we used to run a little Mexican club that I ran at Evo and then Ty ran with PWX a few times. It was called El Patron. And we were in – they had two sections. They had the ballroom section, like the club section, and then they had like a restaurant section. We were in the restaurant section. And he goes, uh, I just want you to know that like a year and a half ago – my son, either my wife, I got sick or my son got sick. I can't remember. So I apologize whoever who told me the story. Uh, somebody got sick and I had to quit my job, my full-time job working for the city to take care of them. And my mm -hmm. wife was the only one working mm -hmm. and she was paying all the bills. And I got really depressed. And then I found Evo and it gave me something to look forward to every month. It gave yep. me something me and my son could come to every month. And they, they still come to PWX to this day. And I will never forget that moment of like and my my like my ex-wife still over to death like she's doing good i'm doing good but i remember her telling her that night like this is why i do it it's not about the money yep. it's not about the popularity yep. it's not about any of that it's if one person if it changes one person's life like that or has that effect on one person it's worth all the time i put in like all all the stress i have to go through like that that's that's changing the world that's not that's not doing it for yourself that's changing the world exactly and and that was for me it was never about the money i mean i always wanted to make money i always wanted to build something bigger but at the end of the day for me it was i love to stand by the door at the end of the shows and listen to the crowd buzz mm -hmm. and how much they enjoyed the show and also my guys go home from the locker room thrilled to death because they got to work the way wanted to and have a great match. Yeah, it's and it, it was always more about that than it ever it's a was weird, about the money. Yeah, it's a weird spot because especially where we are now as a company, because we need to make these funds and have these houses to continue the process. Not from a fin like from a financial it's always from a financial standpoint, but also from a, from a reputation standpoint, from a building standpoint, from a where we are as a company and the time we and effort we've put in in the past twelve years. Yep. And it's or 13 or 14 years now. Um, but it's like another thing that people overlook that I think people are, fi are finally understanding because of all these creative issues in WWE. And now you see AEW doing well uh, with, with giving wrestlers creativity is like the creative process. For me, that's what, that's what drives me and fuels me is a creative process. Uh, like when I do posters, I hate them when I, when I send them to Brian. I hate them. I, I, I'm just tired of messing with them. Just take it. We'll see how it does. Right. And then I look back at them. Like I was, I was scrolling through old posts, like posters from this past year uh, yesterday, and I was like, that don't look bad. I like that one. That <laughs> one don't look bad. It's just like, but even more so coming up, like when you book or when you produce, uh, which is more what I do now, is like you, you're working with a talent, and, and then you're working with a booker, 
and all of your collective minds are coming together. And then you sit there and when you see it unfold and the crowd react the way you want them to react, you start thinking about like, what if we wouldn't have made this decision? What right. if somebody wouldn't have opened their mouth about this? Right. What if, like, what if we didn't include the talent? What if, what if whenever, whenever the booker says, Hey, I want to do this. Me and Brian say, I know I don't like it. And it just takes all of this away from the fans. Like it, there's so much, like there's so much decision-making and how, how one small speck of a thought could change all of that. And that's what's like, so mind blowing to me. And that's like that, that I'm, I'm, explaining it in a wrestling perspective, but that, that's in everything. That's in a business. That's in mm-hmm. like your music. That's in like film or movies. I mean, it's, it's insane to me. And that's the beauty of art. Well, that, and that was when, before I got to ECW and would run my own shows, you know, a lot of guys loved working for me because I let them have their free reign. You mm-hmm. know, we would get to the show and we talk about it and I'd say, you know, uh, you got so much time. This is who's going over. This is a story I want to tell mm-hmm. your professionals. My job is what goes on outside the ropes. Yeah. Your job is what goes on inside the ropes. Yeah. So you do what you got to do, and I will give you the format to do it. And they loved it. It yeah. was great. And then I had guys at the time. I mean, I had I had Reckless Youth and mm-hmm. Mike Quackenbush when they were breaking in. And yeah. Phenomenal. And, and that I would let them go and let them. The only thing I had to do is keep giving Tom Carter hell because he kept getting concussions. Yeah. Um. But they could come in. They would know they had a good ring to work in. Mm-hmm. They knew they'd have a good audience. They just nobody had to worry about the infighting and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So it made for magic. We were making well, magic, and and didn't matter if we had fifty people, two hundred people. I had a couple shows over a thousand. Um, everybody just had a good time. That's what it was yeah. all about. And I I have a theory as well that if you if you allow a talent to be a part of the creative process they will be more sold on what they're doing as opposed to being told what to do yes. i think that's the biggest problem in wwe now is everybody's so scared that they might get and and that that might be changing now because of the they're wrestling being landscape forced to, yes is like now people can say no, i don't really think this is good i think i need to do it like this cuz this is how i feel my character and then if somebody says you know what you got a point so let's mm-hmm. do it like this instead of let me rewrite it. Let me send it to send it to wherever, get it printed. Let me yep. get it to Vince. Yep. Let me see if it gets. And then forty five minutes have passed, and then you forgot your thought. <laughs> and and right. it's just like it's it's. I understand like on on the outskirts of uh, what's his name uh, Ambrose's or Moxley's Moxley. interview. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's a real opening. Is it's like. You can't do it like that, and I and like me and Brian have gone through many different ways of how we book or how we have people book. Like when we choose bookers, we use their method, and if we think that method is not going to work because we've seen it in the past, we'll say, "Listen, you might want to tone that down. This mm-hmm. is this is what the guys like. This is how it's made us successful." Right, and it's and it's hard. It's hard to keep an eye out for, like, just make sure that you're hitting all the dots, and we'll make sure we're doing our part. You know. I, I yeah and and again one of the big differences in our style of entertainment and what makes wrestling so unique is it's so much of a one-on-one contact with that audience mm-hmm. um, people that get to wrestle and do what they need to do need to come from what in because they're not reading a script they're not professional actors they're not playing for the most part none of them are playing another character they're being themselves and they're projecting what they want to be in that ring exactly and the more you let them project and be that person i truly believe the more successful and the more connection you're going to make with that audience because it is totally unique to anything else out there 
Whether you're talking about other sports entertainment, whether you're talking about Harlem Globetrotters or, yeah. or anything like that, they had personality shown through, but they had the game as the base of it. But so yeah. much of this is really built on that connection between the wrestler and the person sitting to pay to sit in that seat. Definitely. And Vince was convinced, and he was very good at it at one time of being able to say, and it was an old axiom in the business that you're, the, the, promote, the, the good promoter doesn't, um, doesn't give you what you want. The good promoter tells you what you want. Yeah. And Vince was great at that for a long time. Mm-hmm. But then he became overproduced with it. I remember when he went through that phase. Remember when everything was supposed to be, he was hiring professional actors to become wrestlers. Yes. And it went, it yeah. fell flat in his yeah. face. And he's never quite totally released himself from that. But you're right. Yeah. The changes in this business today, I've never seen the industry like it is now. It's, oh, it's, 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 it's I, I can't. I can't tell you how incredible it is to look and see what this business is today and how satisfying it is to just had my small part of it back then. Yeah. That was know? like that was another question I was going to ask you like what do you, what is cha- in your opinion what has changed the most? So coming from like back in the day like before ECW to now. Lately the main thought on my mind is just Totally taking kayfabe and finally throwing it out the business. Because kayfabe was not only, to me, and I don't think most people realize this, kayfabe was not also about keeping secrets. It was about how you controlled the industry. Yeah. Because kayfabe meant you could shut people out that you didn't trust or people that wouldn't perform the way you wanted to. And you basically, you, you held the business in your hand. It's a mob mentality. It was a mob mentality. Mm. And at the same time, you couldn't expand the business because these people controlled it. Yeah. You didn't have, um, and then you had the resentment of, of people like myself who would be like, oh, yeah, sure, yeah, right, it's real. Well, you know what, if you're going to, and I've had this conversation, I can't tell you how many times over 30 years, mm-hmm. that, well, you know what, if you're going to try to tell me it's real and you're going to insult my intelligence, I'm not giving you my money. Yeah. It was that simple because people were just like, if you can't be honest with me, then you don't deserve my money. And that was, it may have worked back in the day. We can't sit here today and say it would yeah. be better back then. But I think the biggest difference today is how open and honest we are about it. Yeah. And like any other form of entertainment, there's only a small element that wants to know how the magician does his tricks. Yeah. The rest of them just want to go into the lounge and be entertained for an hour, and that's it. You know, exactly. so they don't care what Houdini's real well, name yeah. was. You know, and, to, and, and now that we've opened a business up like that, these kids have taken it into places like Queens of Combat when they did the match with they, they, the two women. And I, I'm terrible with names. They never touched, mm-hmm. but they did the whole thing All with the, the four spits. Yeah. yeah, and it was fantastic. Yeah. It was phenomenally entertaining. You couldn't have done that 20 years ago. Yeah. Nobody would have given you the latitude. Everybody would have had that old school mindset. You can't do that because you're exposing the business. Yeah. And Which, again, was used. To me, it was used more to stifle the business than it was to and I feel really like let it be an entertainment. I feel like that's another piece that like fans have taken it have taken kayfabe to oh this is your this is you guys lying to us and not right. wanting us to that, know that's and exactly that's not, right. and I agree with you like I want to touch on that because that's not what it's about it was about like you said like controlling how controlling the people that are in the business and for the right reasons and this is and this is something that falls I mean I might be out of line with this uh, like this commentary but like. Now you you have people and you find out like they're child molesters in the business. 
Right. Like back back in the days of kayfabe, when somebody would talk, and mm-hmm. all you need to do is tell one person, yep. that guy would that guy or girl or anybody any sex would not see another wrestling show for the rest of their lives because they would take care of it in the background. Right. And like that, a piece of that is lost with with the, the losing of the kayfabe mentality. Right. I mean, so that's that's kind of, but that I mean, I don't use that. That's a maybe a horrible example to use, but it's. But uh, you're right, though. There was but some- like there's there's things there's things that kayfabe was used for, other than not smartening up fans. Oh, absolutely. It's not that. That's that's a very Excuse minute me. piece of of well, what it, what it's about. It, you know, and I made a connection on that a while back because it's the same way. If you got into the business, mm-hmm. you had K. You've literally had kayfabe beat into you. Yeah. And then if you ever broke it or you ever tried to step away from it, well, you either got blackballed yep. or you got the shit beat out of yeah. you. I mean, you it's know. just like the mob. Like, yeah. You don't you don't tell the mob secrets. Exactly. And and the reason isn't because. One of the reasons is because they don't want people to know how the mob works because then they can infiltrate it and exactly. screw it up. Exactly. But another is you don't want to know how they make all their money. Like, yep. Or they don't want you to know how they make all their money. They don't want you to know how they can control different people. They don't want you like, – you can't give away all those secrets. And that's and it's the same in any business. Well, I think and, – and the thing was with the, with, the, with the old days too, the, the audience that they were reaching, um, you know, they didn't want to break that illusion. Yeah. But, but the – I hate to say it this way, but it's the more um, aware, the more intelligent people mm-hmm. could see through the facade. And, and again, they just turned away. Now go to a show, and you might have a guy that's sitting there running a car dealership that owns seven car dealerships sitting in the front row enjoying the show with his family. Mm-hmm. Whereas 20, 30 years ago, he would have never. He would have never yeah. been at a show. Yeah. Now you can let them be athletes. They're yeah. not. And, and I don't mean to insult the past, but some will take it that way. But it's no longer just a bunch of beer belly brawlers. Yeah. It's athletes. It's mm-hmm. gymnasts. These are performers. These are actors. And now they are allowed to use all of those facilities to create what they're doing. And look at the way it's exploded. I mean, it's 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 incredible when you look at the quality of the talent that's out there on an indie level now. And I love being on indie level. I really have no desire um, to be with a front office in Stanford or anywhere else. Yeah. I love what I'm doing right here because yeah. I love working with these kids and helping them to understand the business, understand themselves. It's 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 what makes it all worthwhile for me. Well like another another conversation that I have with people that are that have been in the business for a long time and have seen like have seen it grow and change is do you think the business needed to evolve to maintain notoriety in the world i think a perfect example of that roller derby yes it never evolved i mean it it got hurt when the fuel when when the fuel prices went crazy Mm -hmm. um and basically that was it but then there was nothing there to evolve it didn't evolve in any way or shape or form or when it did evolve and come back it did some carny nonsense like an alligator pit in the middle of a figure eight you know roller derby track so it never really allowed itself to um move past that yeah and that's like that that's what i always ask people that are traditionalists Mm-hmm. Like a, like a Jim Cornette is I mean I I understand what he's saying and I understand it worked back in the day, but did you have to ask yourself did it need to evolve to what it is did did the, the WWE product need to become as crisp as it is to exactly. maintain a fan base that it has and and for lack of what everybody wants to like shit on WWE about 
for maintaining an audience and a national brand that introduces wrestling to the world. Because right. if without WWE, or how good or how bad it is, like no, you're not putting that seed in people's brains. Right. It's it's. Uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. Minor league baseball. Mm-hmm. If minor league baseball, the one there's this, the perfect example is one person named Tim Tebow created a buzz about minor league baseball because right. he was on a national network. Yep. Like he like he presented in a national level. No matter if you hated Tim Tebow, thought he couldn't play football, thought he shouldn't have won a couple of champ- national championships at Florida, thought he was he should have never replaced uh, uh, what's right. his, uh, Manning at, at Boston. Right. No, ma- no matter what, you found out he was playing baseball and you wanted to either see him succeed or fail, you'd go, you went to exactly. – I mean, perfect example is he, he was supposed to come to Kana- – like I live in Kannapolis, North Carolina. He was supposed to come to the Kannapolis Intimidator Stadium. The, they they maybe put five or six hundred people in a two twenty five hundred seat stadium. Right. Every right. every time they have a they have a a baseball game, they put they sold out this this baseball game that Tim Tebow was supposed to come. Right. That's and, and I'm not saying that WWE is responsible for the success of independent wrestling. I think WWE is necessary for independent wrestling to flourish. I think I uh, what what. <laughs> It took 30, almost 30 years to replace it, but what WWE did is create a vacuum for local wrestling when mm-hmm. they destroyed the territories. Uh, and all of a sudden you went from, I'm going to the Col- Coliseum every Monday night to see professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a huge vacuum there for a long time. And because the business, the way he absorbed the business, it took a long time for the business to re-find itself. Because even when I was doing it, when you brought in a name, a name was just basically everybody to get there for a house. You were doing one show, trying yeah. to make money. Mm-hmm. Your, your your name never put anybody local over. Yeah. You know, nobody really thought about building local talent and, yeah. and doing that kind of thing. And I was trying to do that back in the 80s. Um, I, I think Vince hurt the business for very many years. But like baseball, you look at baseball and some of the things they've done, and baseball is so good that no matter what they do, they haven't been able to destroy the game. Yeah, designated hitters, all the other nonsense, um, and I think that's where the kids today deserve so much credit because they have worked through that. The kids that came before them have worked through that, and and what they've brought to the table today. And I think another key with it too was once you got the old style thinking of promoters and bookers out of the way, mm-hmm. now you started building people for local talent, and they were trying to emulate the WWE. They wanted to run angles, they wanted to run shows with self-contained angles within the shows, or be able to run a series of shows and carry an angle over five or six shows. And yeah, you really didn't do a lot of that back in that day. Yeah, there was very few of it was us like that little were spot to shows do that. here and there. Yeah. Yeah, and it was hard. It was hard to do spot shows and carry storylines. But for, like, in my case, I got to the point where I had fans who would come to my shows just because they were my shows. Yeah. And I don't say that to brag, but it just it, it, it just boggles my mind that I was doing something like this that, that at that time when nobody else was really doing it or very few people were doing it. That's um, interesting. Yeah. And then, you know... ECW was just something. There was a vacuum at that point with everything that was going on. I had lost a really great business partner um, who I think we would have changed a lot of the history of wrestling in Pennsylvania. But then I got involved with ECW. It was like, this is going to be something special. Mm -hmm. There's a vision here. There's a desire here. And the biggest thing was there was an open door to talk to Paul Heyman, 
but more so Todd Gordon. Yeah. And say, this is what you got. Because, I mean, when I hit him with every chair wrestles, there was silence. Yeah. And then he, he started to think through it, you know, planting yeah. those seeds. Yeah. And yeah. eventually that led to things like bringing in Eddie Guerrero. And, yeah. Because and, we started with Hector Guerrero. Mm-hmm. That was the first time we really went out. I did a spot show in a little town called Kennett Square, uh, Mushroom Farms, and it was all Mexicans. And I said, yeah. we got to put we need somebody to Some, appeal to that audience Hispanic for this show. Talent, yeah. And they brought Hector in, and next thing I know, we're bringing in, because again, I'm not involved I'm sure with the Hector's booking. like, I can get you Eddie. I can get, yeah, because yeah, that, that all happened. Like, that's behind, what happens. You know, yeah, yep, that's it what just, happens. Just one, happened. bring one in, they're like, hey, I can get you this And guy, I don't think guy, we ever brought Hector for... back. And yeah. Hector and I got to, I got to know Hector real well back from the days of going to the old NWA shows. Yeah. Because um, I used to kid him about Lasertron. Uh, <laughs> and I remember first time he tried to work me about, oh, I'm not laser trying. Like, Hector, I know better. But yeah. anyhow, um, but that to me is the biggest key underneath all of this that's happening today is that we've released ourselves from those those bonds of kayfabe. Do, do you think that ECW was the original, like, dedicated fan base? Not really, because, I mean, there was one. I, I think Philadelphia was one. There was a guy by the name of... Jer- well, uh, when I say dedicated fan base is, like, you had you had a crew of, like, four or 500 that would come to every show. Like, I, it doesn't matter before you announce the card. Because if you think about it, WCW was doing their Saturday night in in Orlando. Right. On, at Universal Studios. So, and they were just... Get, bring it like shuffling people in, mm-hmm. like Impact was. Right. And WWE was such a monster that it was going, it was just going town to town and people people were buying the, the name as opposed. Right. I mean, it, it, like later in the, in like when Hogan was there and all this and that, uh, like you, they bought into Hogan, but it was still buying the name. Like this is a WWF event. Well, like this, it's like, it's like when. Is it, the best analogy I can come up with is this like the the monster truck? What's the monster truck thing that Corky works at? Oh, I uh, I don't follow like the monster, monster trucks. Truck, so. uh, I can't. God, what's the name of it? I the, just lost the older it. I get, the less yeah. culturally aware um, I become. Yeah, but um. it's like it's like you you you're like oh this this brand this branded company is coming right that I know is going to be amazing exactly and oh and I there's Grave Digger I know trucks. Grave Digger yeah there, there's yeah. the Carolina Cobra well, or something like that I don't but it's you know it's the same concept it's like you're buying like you have no idea who these drivers are. Well, at all, the, but you know the trucks, right? Well, with wrestling, it was the same thing because the original term has been so different. Is so different now what it means than it did when I was was breaking into business. Mm-hmm. It was hardcore fans. It wasn't hardcore wrestling. They were hardcore fans. Monster so Jam. If you were that's what Monster it's called. Jam, sorry. That's it. Um, <laughs> That's sorry, if you were in me. Memphis, the hardcore fan was the guy that was in Memphis with you one night, and he was with you in Jackson, Mississippi the next night, yeah. and he was following the circuit. Yeah, those were the hardcore. That's what hardcore that was, was in that the was, beginning. That was like one. ECW was the first one that had a like a plethora of them. Well, they built a national fan base. Yeah, that, that but, was because they had the Philadelphia Philly fan base. You're right. Well, was, when I started promoting, that was one of the biggest. Well. ECW will never draw outside the ECW arena. I can't tell you how many times I heard that from people yeah. in the business. And that was kind of like, well, now I'm involved. It's like, nah, this can happen. Yeah. This will work. Now, I never did the big shows in Philly and New York, but we did Jim Thorpe, yeah, uh, which was a little town. Doug Flex helped me work that out, and we did Jim Thorpe on the side of a mountain, and we drew. Yeah. And nobody expected us to draw. Yeah. We did Kensington, and then um, I did some other shows, and then they got involved with some other people and started running Florida and stuff like that. So 
at that time, there wasn't. I don't think anybody else was out there doing what ECW is doing, yeah. building that kind of fan base. And we were fitting Paulie. It, it was just a matter of time because WWF at that time and WCW had become so involved in marketing the kids. Yeah. They left that audience. They mm-hmm. left the adult audience behind. And mm-hmm. that's where ECW filled that niche. And then we did things like, the Observer started carrying us. So yeah. all of a sudden that added legitimacy mm-hmm. because Dave Meltzer is watching what's going on with ECW. And we did things like we would go out and we would do AOL. Yeah. We did shows from the ECW arena where we did play-by-play on AOL, and that gave us a national fan base without the TV. Yeah. So there was a lot of things that happened at ECW. The ECW was like the first to have like a website. We pushed that. We were the first ones to do a cyber. Uh, we did a cyber cyber, Sunday, cyber, 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 cyber Slam. Cyber Slam. It was called yeah. Cyber Slam. 96. And we did a weekend just dedicated to having the, the internet the fans come in. That uh, sounds about right. I could be wrong. I think I remember the graphic. But, um, and that was where and we had, did. And they had the TV show. The local TV show the TV that was show. different. That was like, that pushed, like that pushed yep. a different look and feel to get people to come to the upcoming shows. Absolutely. And then he was getting, you know, which was brilliant, he was getting the stuff out to these um, networks at mm-hmm. the time, like Network One or USA One or something like that. And he was getting all these sloppy top slots. But the one thing about wrestling fans is if you give them a good product, yeah, they're with you in a they'll heartbeat. They'll find it. You'll, mm-hmm. They'll find it. If if Vince pulls his shit together right now with WWE, mm-hmm. that it'll take off, yeah. and he'll be back to drawing five, six, seven million fans to watch the show on a Monday night. Yeah, but he hasn't had to, mm-hmm. you know. And WWE is not a wrestling promotion. No, it's, it's an international sports entertainment corporation, mm-hmm. and you can't compare most wrestling today to what the WWE is. Yeah, because. You as me as an independent, we're not worried about did we piss off M and M's. Yeah, we're not worried did we yeah. piss off Slim Jims. Well, we can I do think, a lot of stuff that the WWE can't because it's the corporate money that floats the boat more than anything. Well, it's and like as much as I hate it for my, all my friends that work there, I feel like Impact is doing it right now. But I think they are so far in the grave. I'm not gonna say they're gonna. I'm not gonna say they're gonna get buried and they're gonna die. Because they never do, right? But they right. are so far it's in the amazing. hole, like they are so far in the hole that it's going right. to take so much to reach up and pull themselves out. It, it is amazing that they have made it through seventeen years. Um, you know, and, and again, again, talking about about them. At one time, they were a bigger promotion worldwide than the WWE was. They yeah, had a they much had, bigger distribution yeah. network. But the difference between WWE and everybody else is. Vince McMahon's a second-generation promoter. Mm-hmm. Nobody has, to me, nobody has the knowledge of promoting that Vince McMahon did. And nobody lived it like Vince McMahon did. So Vince has always had that edge. Even when uh, the Monday Night Wars were going on, I, I stood there for a year and a half and said, Vince isn't done. Yeah, He will come back. He will find the formula. He's not going to disappear just because of WCW. Well, it's it's almost and like infighting killed WCW. Vince never had that problem. It's almost like you have the best one of the best promoters, if not the best promoter ever, being handed something that is already built. That's true too. Yes. Yes. So he doesn't even have to build it. You're right. Like because and, and I think and that's what I think people overlook that is like Yes, Bischoff was handed NWA, which was already built. But I don't care what anybody says. NWA was still a regional promotion. 
Yes. It did well regionally. It did. Yes. It didn't do well nationally. It was never a national promotion. Right. Just like just like uh, the Sportatorium. The what's the what was Dallas? Uh, the WCCW. WCW. WC, yeah. Yeah. We don't talk world about class. World class was right. a regional promotion. It was right. never they, as much as they wanted it to be a national promotion. It was a regional promotion, and in and and you can say that the WWWF was a regional promotion, and it was. But the foundation had been laid, and you're in a part of the world that's that's way easier to get worldwide distribution. Right. He's already and, in New York. Yeah. Yeah. Like somebody in North Carolina can't say, "I'm going to call New York." Yep. And you you're know right. what I mean. You've already made those connections. His dad already knew those people. Well, that was part of how he laid his groundwork was the fact that he wasn't wrestling. Yeah. He was professional wrestling. Yes. And he, so many. Brilliant minds that were great at regional promoting couldn't survive on a national level because they did not understand how to market a national product, and yeah. Vince did. They had he mastered did. the regional product. Exactly. When he, so he knew when he went out there, he grabbed people from – if you look at he – he was brilliant in that he understood how to present his product nationally. He was brilliant in that – and he still does it today, and people don't recognize it – he knew how to hurt your box office. Yeah. Because now you're drawing 6,000 people every Monday night, but all of a sudden, 4,500 of them are gone because the guy that they were coming out to see is in Stanford working yeah. for Vince. And all yeah. of a sudden, Jim Duggan's there and Ricky Steamboat's there. And it, it just, he was brilliant at undermining his competition. Yeah. And his dad at the same time was sitting there saying to the NWA, no, my dad, he's he's not going national. No, nah, he's not doing that. That's people talking through their hat. Yeah. And yeah. It, shrewd, I don't like it. I don't, it, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth, but it's you got to be honest, it yeah. was brilliant. Yeah. It it's was business. brilliant. Whether or not the regionals would have survived without Vince doing what he did, I, you know, we don't know to this day. Because look well, at how it bad went, it did at one time, how bad you speak about minor league baseball. And at yeah. one time, almost all of minor league baseball was in the toilet. Yeah. So. It's, uh, yeah. And I think with with the success of WWE, is helped more is helped more than hurt professional wrestling. I am still amazed to this day to hear the word indie yeah. on an, a WWE broadcast. I really am. Because knowing how adamant Vince was back in the day that you never mentioned a competition. Yeah. You ne- and... and which was kind of like the kayfabe at the time, because you didn't know if you were sitting there watching Crockett Promotions in North Carolina, you didn't know the Von Erichs were in Texas. You had you had no way of knowing it. There was really yeah, there was little. I mean, the only way I knew it was a uh, Norman Keitzer had a magazine, and he mm-hmm. would run through all the regionals. He would list all the guys that were in the top ten. Mm-hmm. He would list all the workers, and that's when I first learned that like Rick McGraw was working in Texas. Yeah. You know. Um, and that and that was that. That's how tight that business was to find out anything outside of where you lived at the time. It was almost impossible. Then you had Meltzer come along and establish a newsletter because when I started, newsletters were just strictly again a regional, a regional deal. Um, but to look at it today and, and yeah, Vince, you got to give Vince credit because he kept the product alive. Yeah. But then over time, it evolved. Um, because the missing elements were filled in by the indies today, which yeah. you can't get from Vince. You can you go can to Legend, you know, you can go to Legend next weekend and mm-hmm. get a lot of that that you can't get from Vince. What's crazy about it is that there's going to be an independent show on the WWE Network next month. That isn't that is insane. Now, in all honesty, we have to be fair because Vince isn't exactly 
not have his hand in there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but the idea that he would take Evolve and put it on as a competition. Now, tell me Vince isn't shrewd. He didn't take his WWE product out there. He didn't take his NXT product out there. They're already hot. Yeah. He said, here's another market that matches yeah. better up with my competition right now, mm-hmm. and I think I still can give you the better product and fill the need that you want, and I can take that away and from as, AEW. As I mean, I understand... I'm trying not to sound horrible in this. I understand the gripe that AEW has because mm-hmm. of because of the the uh, basis of what their show is based on, like in, in Jacksonville. Yep. But if competition is what you want, competition is what you will get. And if you poke the bear, yes, be ready. He's going to come back after you. And you've been poking the bear, and exactly. you think it's funny until until like you you <laughs> like I want AEW to succeed and do well, yes. and I want it to be a new something new because I love the aspect of competition with WWE. Yep. But I think people assume and overlook how Vince is. When competition steps in. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. I can't wait to see it. So well, they, they caught him at a good time because he's distracted by his mm-hmm. football league and he's distracted by all the expansion he's trying to do into Europe and into Asia. Mm-hmm. They caught him at a good time, but we're starting to see yep. the response. We're starting to Getting see the Fox. We're deal. starting to see that Vince that would take the stars. Exactly. And 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 he'll do Drop what any draw. good he'll do what any big corporation will do when that little tangent comes along and starts to take away from what he's got. Mm-hmm. He will find a way to absorb it and bring yep. it within the company. So I think AEW can be very successful, but it's going to be five to ten years before they're truly competition. Yeah, right now they got the buzz, and Vince will find a way to get them. He did it to ECW. He did it to WCW. Mm-hmm. He he's did. done it to the indie scene for the last two years when yep. he started signing all these people up for an X. It wasn't about expanding his product. It's about, it's about taking the revenue away from the other exactly. guy. Exactly. These are the people that draw money for Exactly. Because if you can't draw the money, you can't compete with exactly. me. Exactly. AEW is the first one he's faced in a long time that's got those resources. All right. And this this is how we're going to end this. The I, I've I've been like I've been standing with you after shows or after the pure shows or PWX shows, and a lot of the younger guys will come to you and say, Ed, what what do you think? So if you have one piece of advice to give someone that's coming up in the wrestling business, what is it? What is it? I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I do. Learn to be you in the ring. Learn to be, never forget that, how do I want to say this? It it, it comes, because my focus has always been, again, because I've never been a worker, my focus is always on what's going on outside the ropes. Yeah. Never lose sight of who's on the other side of those ropes. Yeah. How do you reach and connect with them? You can be the sloppiest worker in the world, and we've seen them, mm-hmm. and you can connect and make buku bucks. Yep. You can be the best technical wrestler in the world, and if you don't connect with that audience, you're not going to get – you're not – it's always never lose sight of who's on the other side of the ropes. I don't care whether you're working an indie show in front of 25 people, and you need to know how in your 10 minutes to get those 25 people to pay attention to you, mm-hmm. or you're at a big indie show in front of a 1,000. If you walk into that ring and ignore the audience and forget they're there, they will forget to let you know that you're there. Love it. it it's, it's, it's just it's, – that's what it is because it's all built on emotion. It's all built on being larger than life. So much fun. Thank you, Ed. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Special Podcast. Find all of our 
old episodes at TuesdaySpecials.com. That's TuesdaySpecial.com. Yeah, whatever. I don't care. All right. Thank you. Yeah.